Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Sometimes I think we should rename this podcast the Vulnerable Podcast because it's sort of brave guests that come forward and share their stories. And Stuart Barrett is in my home who is going to share his story. And Stuart is somebody that, because my son connected with many young men from Stuart's high school, I got to know many of the people in neighboring high school. And I've never met Stuart, but we got connected on social media. And he posted in June of this year about his own journey um, being disfellowshipped from the church and then coming back to the church and working through that process. It's pretty brave to put that on Facebook. And um, it's a beautiful post. And I just thought, would it be helpful, since Stuart's already been public about this, to have him share this story with you, our listeners? And he agreed to do this. And this takes a lot of courage. And so we, as I prayed before we started, just felt prayed for Stuart that he would feel um, be able to share his story. And I think the goal to share this is is there's other people walking a road of working through church discipline or, or thinking they need to start the church disciplinary process to fully return. That can be a scary space to be in, and Stuart knows that space. And I think our joint hope is that if you're trying to help somebody get through the repentance process or you yourself are in the middle of that or want to start that process, the thing Stuart sh- shares will be helpful for you because Stuart knows this road firsthand. Is that okay for an introduction? <laughs> Sounds great to me. Thank you. Um, I'm going to let you kind of introduce yourself to our listeners. Give us a basic overview of your of you, your age, and stuff. Kind of that kind of stuff, Stuart. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I'm 26 years old. Um, grew up in the Salt Lake area, Mill Creek area. Um, you know, grew up in the church. It's always been something that's been part of my life. Uh, I mean, did kind of just the the basic growing up in the LDS church things. I went to Young Men's, had a calling. I mean, had callings, did home teaching. I mean, kind of just your typical LDS uh, childhood. Um, kind of, I went on a mission. I went to Omaha, Nebraska. Um, did anybody pick that on the map? You know, all your <laughs> friends no. when you were picking spots. Absolutely not. So yeah, was- that is. Uh, it was pretty shocking getting it, but. Honestly, I can't think of a better place in the world. I I love Omaha and I loved my mission. So it was a it was a great spot for me to be and um things I learned out there have have continued with me. Um I uh I guess I will say that's that's kind of one of the things that um I, I kind of wanted to mention is I feel like kind of growing up LDS, I mean, I feel like most of most LDS kids don't have to go through too many traumatic things. Um, we kind of are in a protected bubble here in, in Salt Lake. And uh, at least for me, it, it felt like I, I was never challenged um, super hard. And so for me, I mean, going through this repentance process post-mission, I, I didn't feel like I ever had a, a super um, big experience with it before. Um, and so going on a mission, kind of seeing it work in others people, other people's lives was was something that was was unique and kind of seeing how it changed them was awesome. And um, for me, um, it, it wasn't incredibly personable, personal. Um, I mean, the chances I did have it, it felt like it was more of a just kind of a step like do this, do this, do this, and then you'll get that. Um, and it wasn't necessarily as much about changing. Um, I think, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of a basic overview of, of kind of how I got to the spot. Um, as far as, as the post goes, I, uh, a few months ago in, in June, uh, like you mentioned, um, I just had a, I had a huge urge that I, I needed to post something, um, kind of put my, my testimony and words into, into, on paper, um, I'm not someone who who can uh, speak and, and share what they feel. Um, I'm more of a kind of put it down on paper guy. Um, and so I, I put this post, I posted it to my just my Facebook and my Instagram. Uh, and then there's a church a church website or a church page. It's like the Worldwide United. Yeah. Um, and I, uh, I, I decided to put it on there and just seeing how many people 
um, responded to it. So many different people reached out to me. I mean, thousands of people commented and were just encouraging me. And then there was people that were sharing their story. And it was it was really um, amazing to see just like the influence that you can have. Um, there has been a this this experience of kind of going from being desk fellowshipped after my mission. I mean, coming home, you you kind of expect to live this perfect life and when you don't have those you don't have those boundaries set for you anymore, you're kind of on your own and you're having to figure it out as you go. Um I mean, it just takes little things to kind of I mean, kind of push you from the path and and um I mean, I'm just I'm so grateful that it happened. Um I don't think God ever wanted me to have to go through it. Uh, but I think we've both been able to kind of make make the best of a bad situation. Um, I think um, as far as, I mean, being able to share my experience with other people, that's kind of been the biggest thing, um, being able to kind of share some of the things I've learned. Um, one of the things uh, I, I learned, I would say I learned uh, three three main things, and I kind of mentioned this in the post. Um the first kind of dealing with dealing with the leadership of the church, um, getting, I, so this, I would say it started, I mean, I kind of deviating from the path, um, about six months after my mission, just choices here and there kind of led to bigger and and worse things. Um, and kind of just, I kind of just veered from there and just kind of continued on a path that, that was contrary to the church. Um, there was a, it's been a few times I've, I've tried um, kind of correcting my path and, and kind of getting back on the, the church path. And so it's been, it's been interesting. I've had, I want to say I've, I've worked with probably four different bishops. Um, I initially started with one in Provo and, and I never want to talk bad on, on, on bishops or, or church leadership because they really do have their best, um, they have your best intention at heart. And so, I mean, I, I, this guy, he just seemed very overwhelmed with working with a lot of YSAs that were probably also going through similar things. And so um, met with him a few times and it didn't feel like, like it was like his heart was there. And so, that was tough for me, um, kind of going through something difficult and and trying to work with someone that you've never really met before, um, and kind of having to share all these personal things with them um, was was really tough. Um, and then to see that <laughs> distracted was maybe the best word. Just seemed distracted. Um, I kind of put it off and and continued on that path. Um, it was about, I want to say probably a year or so later when I moved back up to Salt Lake, um, I got another Bishop and he was one that <laughs> it was actually one of, uh, my younger brother's, um, good friends. His dad was our Bishop. And so kind of started on the process with him and, and kind of got things turned, turned around and was able to go back to the temple and to see my brother and doubt and kind of go through with him and. It was it was an awesome experience, um, but I think a lot of people can relate. But I, I mean, got back into similar things and and fell back onto a path that I was not hoping to get back onto. Um, and so, I mean, it's definitely it's a it's a journey. Um, the repentance process is is something that is I feel like is just kind of a three steps forward, two steps back. And it's just, it's a constant battle. Um, but yeah, I, I worked with him and then uh, worked with him for a couple of years. Didn't really get back to where I needed to be. Kind of started doing my own thing again. Um, got a new bishop. And, and this time it was one of my childhood best friends. It was his dad. And um, from the moment I started working with him, I just, I felt so much love from him. Um, I he, he kind of sat me down and was pretty blunt about it. He's like, "Hey, 
look, you're you're not doing what you need to be doing. You're on the you're on a path that's not going to lead you to happiness. Um, and he was pretty he's pretty blunt, but I could feel the love behind it. I knew he cared, um, and that's kind of been a theme for me. Um, it's dealing with all sorts of different leaders um, at the stake level um, on at, on my mission. I uh, there's a particular incident on my mission. So I, uh, about eight months in, uh, I had within a month period, month, month and a half period, I had my grandfather pass away. I had a friend, um, accidentally overdose. I had a friend die by suicide. And then a cousin that I was really close to, uh, die by suicide. Um, wow. Yeah. It's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was tough. And, and it hit me because, and again, I can't blame him uh, just because he didn't know what was going on. But my companion wasn't of much help at the time. Um, and so it was, it was tough to, to kind of have to deal with that on your own. Um, and so I, I kind of took that to my mission president. I, I asked him for a meeting one day and said, hey, listen, I'm going through these things. Um, and I've kind of slipped back into old habits that are kind of preventing me from being the missionary that I want to be. Um, and I explained that I had had all these people pass away in my life. And and he, he looks at me and he's like, Elder, when are you going to quit being selfish? And I was like, excuse me? And he's like, when are you going to quit being selfish? When are you going to quit thinking about yourself? I'm like, I feel like this is a pretty reasonable thing to be upset about. Um, and so he's like, I want you to think about how your companion's doing. Do you know how he's doing? It's like, I don't really know. And he's like, what about the people in your area? They seem to be struggling. What about the members of the ward? How do you think they're doing? And I really, honestly, at first, I did not understand what he was trying to say or what he was trying to get at. Um, and it made it, I, I ended up leaving that meeting with just a really just bad feeling. I was not, I mean, I was like, I literally came to him to get a little bit of comfort because can't really find it anywhere else other than emails right now. So um, it, it took a lot to to kind of keep going. Um, a few days later, I got I got an email from from my mom um, talking about my aunt who had had her son pass away, and um, she just had mentioned how my aunt had really kind of taken on a, a role of comforting people um, at a time when it seemed like. She was probably the one that needed it the most. She was able to to reach out and be that rock for other people, um, and so that was that was tough to. I I mean it was it was tough to hear that she had been struggling, but to be able to see that she had kind of turned outward um, really helped me to see. Hey, now this is something that I need to turn outward from. This is something that I need to. Although it's good to to mourn and to kind of work through things, um, at that time I needed to really focus on on being there for other people. That uh, was kind of my mission, and that was what I was called there to do: was to focus on the people out there. And that was something that 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 kind of hit me um, was with my mission present. And this is something that I've kind of taken throughout life, especially through this repentance process post mission, is that the most Christ-like thing that a leader can do for you, although it may be hard to hear at times, is just what is going to make you happy long-term? What's going to help you be the most, um, be able to reach your full potential? Um, That's been something that's been hard for me because I think, I think (laughs) uh, I kind of disagree with his, his tactic of how he did it kind of being as harsh as he was and, and and kind of going to two situations that I had with this repentance process. I mean, I had leaders say things that I felt were out of line. Um, There's definitely things said that that I just I did not agree with, and I don't think it was necessarily fair of them to say. Um, I had one leader even comment just that part of the reason I wasn't worthy was just based on my weight and i just like was just so shocked i was like dude like that has nothing to do with 
this. But I, I mean, to come back to the point that I was trying to make is I think leaders in general have your best interest at heart. They really do care and they do love you. Um, and and kind of assuming the best in people. I mean, it's tough. I mean, I, I was dealing with the death of four people that I really cared about. And to have him say I'm being selfish was was so tough. Um, but it ended up changing my mission. I from that point on, I I really felt like I was I was out there being able to help the people. Um, and so I think part of the repentance process, at least for me, again, a lot of the things I'll I'll say today are gonna be just my experience. It's not necessarily gonna be the experience of anybody else. Um but I feel like I've I've kind of had to have that like rougher, um, just more firm stance, kind of telling me like you need to buck up, like you need to you need to kick it into gear. I know you're better than this, and you acting like this is not going to help. So that's been something that I've I've really tried to take away from this experience. Um, is just that you know leaders are there; they care. They're there to help us. Um, it's not something that, I mean, you want to hear when you're kind of going through a, a tough time. You don't want to hear the tough love. Um, but for me, it was it was necessary. Great job, Stuart, just sharing so much of your story. You're a very good communicator. You're very honest. And you're very upfront. Um, <clears throat> do you think I'm, I'm going back to your mission? The, 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 I mean, there's a side of me that just wants to reach out to you right now in your mission when you're going through what you're going through and just put my arms around you and say, that is a brutal, brutal experience. And to be processing that alone with it, it would be brutal if you were home with your family and had the community of your family and go to these funerals and just mourn. There's something about connecting with family at a time of mourning that brings closure that helps you feel the spirit of those events. It's still really painful, but it's often part of the process. So I, I'm pretty tender-hearted for you because my natural reaction would probably be different in your mission present. I'm not <laughs> sure if we're either saying what would be the right thing, but I'd probably put my arms around and say, this is incredibly hard and you need to take care of yourself. There's a grieving process that you need to go through that's not about being selfish. It's about being human. Mm-hmm. And, and also maybe as part of that, invite you to use this experience as a way as you're grieving and growing and going through the stages of grief to be able to help other people. And it sounds like you got to that space. Um, so it's just a different preference you get with people, you know. And I think you're doing a good job of trying to recognize that individual styles or preferences can resonate with some people and not resonate with some people. Um if I were your YSA bishop, we could talk about this. You know, I might not have gotten in your face like that third bishop that really made the difference because I'm generally not that kind of guy. Mm-hmm. And it might have been better at times if I had more of that attribute, if I go back and sort of the with the love that you felt behind it to sort of get in your face. You didn't quite use that language, but <laughs> I think you knew that guy loved you enough that you it, he had permission to do that with you because there was this foundational love and you knew him well enough to know his heart and he had kind of earned the right to get in your face. Yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on any of that? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I, I, I mean, this is just coming to me now. I just, I feel like that's why there's so many um, just different leaders in our lives. I think that's why bishops switch out every four years or whatever the time period is. I think, different leaders are going to be able to reach you. I mean, and be able to touch your heart better than others. And I, I don't think one's better than another. I think just different styles. And I think that's, I mean, God made us that way. He made us different for, for a reason and being able to relate better with other people and, and kind of letting us go through experiences. Um, I think, uh, especially as far as, as the leadership goes, I mean, Obviously, I it probably would have been nice to have a hug or something from from the mission president when you're when I'm going through that. Um, and I, I, there definitely is there's <laughs> there's definitely a way of of being able to show tough love while actually showing the love. 
uh, sometimes is kind of just the tough part. And that's, it's, it's tough to deal with. Um, but fortunately, I mean, I was able to kind of push through that. And, and I mean, I had zone leaders and other stuff that were able to kind of help me and, and members, I mean, were able to really get me through that. Um, but yeah, I, I think different leadership styles apply to, to each person. Um, there was a, a quote on my mission. Uh, I think a, it was a 70 that had said it that, I mean, there was, he, he just mentioned that about half of us were there for the mission present and half of us were there for the mission. Um, and, and not to say that like you weren't there to, I mean, obviously you're there to do the work. Uh, but I think the mission present gets sent to you and, and some people are meant for a mission present and, and church leaders just in general, I think, there's some people that are going to be able to help you build that testimony, the foundation that you need. And, and I think leaders have a big influence on, on a lot of our lives. Talk about, I assume you took a, fl- a plane ride home from Nebraska. You didn't drive it. Your family <laughs> didn't come pick you up and drive you home. So I always kind of think about that plane ride home because I remember my plane ride home and I think I was journaling on the plane ride, all these goals I was going to make and, <sighs> Um, then the reality of coming home, I just, as you transition from this 24-7 in the church, and I, I don't know anybody that's been able to keep all the goals they wrote on their figurative plane ride home. It's just the reality. And then I worry sometimes that they get hard on themselves because they lived such a standard in their mission that in some ways isn't sustainable just as you get into life. And so I've always wanted missionaries to be still have goals and do what's right, but be pragmatic that it's just going to take some while. But what would you, that's kind of leading up to a question. Um, what advice would you have to missionaries that are on that plane ride home to just try to, to give them, you know, what would you, it's sort of you talking to your younger self on the plane ride from Nebraska to avoid some of the mistakes you've made. Um, even though I think you're going to talk about how this has been helpful for you, but advice to plant guys just coming home. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. I, <laughs> and this is kind of going to go against kind of your question. So I apologize, but that's good. I, I feel like it needs this is to your st- story. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it needs to start sooner. Um, something that I, I kind of had an issue with uh, even my mission self. Um, too much of the time, I feel like there's kind of those phrases and those those lines that you use as a missionary, um, and even just in the church. Like I, I feel like a lot of testimonies are very rehearsed, um, and I, I hope that doesn't come off wrong. But I just feel like too much of it is is not your real self. Um, I, I think a lot of missionaries could avoid. Uh, kind of that issue coming home and and having these things come up where, I mean, they've kind of had this, at least in my situation, I had this like perfect childhood. I, I, I grew up with the church. I grew up with, I mean, I'm in a nice neighborhood. I grew up with, I, I'm really privileged and I, it, it's all thanks to my parents, but um, to, to not have, really big struggles was tough to to come home and realize like life isn't just going to be easy. Like your testimony up to this point has kind of been borrowed on people. Um, has been borrowed from people. And then to go on a mission and to gain your own testimony of things was, was incredible. And that kind of gave me the foundation to, I mean, I, I came home and made these mistakes, but that foundation was what got me to come back. Um, but I think just having a more, real sense and like allowing people to make mistakes, allowing people to learn from those mistakes and to make them a better part of who they are. Um, you you kind of mentioned, I'll get into this in a second, but I, I think that's just, that's something that I would encourage to missionaries coming home is just realize it's, it's the real world. Now you're going to be, you're going to make a lot of mistakes and that's totally fine learn from those mistakes, become a better person because of it. Um, I, I hope that kind of answers your question. Talk about, you know, if you, you, you're you coming home on the plane ride and 
And now what's happened in your life isn't what you thought would happen. You didn't think that you'd be writing a Facebook post in <laughs> 2021 talking openly about being disfellowshipped and returning to the church. Mm -hmm. Sure, that was like the so far from your mind that that could be part of your journey. And so um, I had a question in my mind. It's sort of the question of... Um, is this a setback in your life where you just wish you could, I mean, the repentance takes the sin part of this, but you wish it could be like a tape and just eliminate this section of your life? Or is this period of your time of your life really helpful for you for the rest of your life? Is it one of your worst moments or is it actually one of your best moments, even though there's sin mixed into this whole story? Just talk about that, Stuart, if that's okay. Yeah, I, I appreciate that question. That's a, that's a great question. Um, you know, coming home, I had this ideal life mapped out, like you mentioned, and and, and like you said, I didn't. I never thought in a million years. Like I always joke, I was always, and, and this is where I I just regret so much. But I just I used to be that guy that would always just looked down at people uh, that came home from missions and and started to fall away. I had friends come home from missions and I was like, you guys are so lame. What is going on? Why are you guys, what's what's your deal? How did you just go on a, to your mission to come home and and just forget everything you learned? Like, what? why are you doing this? Um, obviously, it didn't take me long to figure out why and how that happens. I mean, six months later, I'm kind of in a situation where I'm I'm, I'm making mistakes and and kind of going down the path that I, I saw a lot of my friends. Um, and, and that kind of brings me to, to one of my main points. Probably the biggest thing I learned from this and and I think I'm most grateful for, um, I, I wouldn't take any of this back. Um, I think in the moment and just feeling horrible about sinning um, and doing things that I wasn't proud of, knowing that I was in a place that I, I shouldn't be um, was tough. Uh, but looking back at it now, I it's been the best thing for my life. Um, I, I feel like I've been able to really relate a lot more with people. Um, obviously, my my sins, my temptations are going to be a lot different than, than other people's. But what I've been able to do is really kind of focus and – and be able to sit down with a friend who's struggling with something and be able to just say, hey, like, I'm I'm here to listen. I know you're struggling with something, um, and it's not my place to judge. Like, I, I make mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. It doesn't matter. Like, I'm not here to judge. I'm here to love you and care for you and, and help you in any way that I can. Um, I, I can't tell you how many people I've had come to me. Uh, I feel like that's one of the one of the the gifts I've been given in this life is just the ability to listen. Um, I've had so many people that have been able to to sit down and just talk with and be able to just kind of hear their story. I mean, so many of my friends have have either left the church or leaving the church or struggling, um, wanting to go through the repentance process and being able to sit there and honestly say that like I am not judging you. Like I'm I'm here to listen. I'm it's not my job to judge. I'm I'm here to care for you. And I think that's been one of the biggest things that I've been able to take from this um is really just complete open and honest discussion with somebody and and just be able to just listen cuz I I mean it took me it it took me probably a year before I told anybody that I was going through this that I had been disfellowshipped. Um, my mom had found a letter from the stake presence that, saying that I had, but I never talked to anybody about it for about a year um, after it happened. Why? I, I don't know if it was worry of how they were going to react. Um, I have friends that are loving and caring and, and they don't care, but something in my head wouldn't let me get over the fact that I didn't want to be in that situation. Um, I, I think there's a a shame uh, to that, and I'll kind of get a, into that a little bit more in a in a second. But I just I, I feel like 
I, I wanted to kind of handle this with me and me and God, just take care of it between the two of us. It was something that I wasn't proud of. It's not something that I I wanted to come home after <laughs> talking with my friends and and always saying, yeah, I can't believe that person left the church. I can't believe this happened, that happened. And and for me to kind of be in a situation where it, it was more embarrassing than anything, I think. Um, fortunately, I was able to get over that because without that, I don't think I would have been able to kind of work through that process. Talk about shame and just your what you'd share with our listeners about shame. Yeah. Um, we, we talk about in the church, um, godly sorrow, um, and, and feeling bad for what you did. Uh, too much of the time, I think that is confused with shame. Um, I think we, it's tough because repentance is kind of, and, and this is kind of just going into my last point, I think, um, repentance is, is, and kind of the disciplinary uh, system with the church uh, is just looked down upon. I mean, I did it too. People that have been disfellowshipped and, and had gone through excommunication, like obviously they're bad people. What are they doing? They're not, they're not good people. They're, they're people that have done these just awful things. Um, and as I've grown up and, and become more familiar with the situation, I've realized that it happens way more than we know. Um, it's something that people are, are dealing with. <laughs> Walking into church, I'm sure you'll see somebody that's dealing with it. Um, and so to really, I mean, get rid of the stigma that um, repentance is a scary and bad thing. I grew up... Um, Watching Elder Holland's talk of stay within the lines, I remember watching that before going on my mission and and seeing when he talks about you're going to choke on your words. And I I just like I was a few months from going on my mission and there was things that I needed to clear up, but eventually I I got out there and took care of them out in the field. But I had kind of lied about things to get out there because I was so scared of just the consequences, the shame, the oh I'm going to stay home from my mission. I'm going to be home three months longer than I would have before. I'm going to have to justify this to people. Um, I guess I'll get into this. There was a, a, I had made some mistakes before my mission. I didn't clear them up. I, I got out into the mission field and, and I kind of cleared it up with my mission president. Um, and there was a period where I didn't know if I was going to be staying out or if I was, cause I had to get approval. Um, I, uh, the whole time I was kind of going through that rather than focusing on the work and, and focusing on the repentance process, I was worried about what am I going to do if I get sent home? Am I going to go to school? Am I going to get a job? What am I going to tell people? Am I sick? Am I? And I think so many people that are early release missionaries, um, for whatever reason, I mean, have to deal with that. I think it's, it's really sad that I think a lot of people leave the church over that um, rather than having to deal with the shame of, of coming home early. Um, they feel it better to just kind of avoid the situation in general. And that as it's so sad to see that. Um, and I was, I was one of the people that was judging. I, that, again, that's why I'm so grateful for the situation to kind of put it into perspective for me that like, we don't know what people are going through. We don't know their situation, we don't know their path and all of this. They, we don't know what it is that God wants for them. So let's take a step back. Let's not judge them. Let's just love them, and they'll figure it out. This is really gold, Stuart. I hope you recognize how many people you're helping. Um, you've gotten really good feedback on your Facebook posts, but the things you're sharing are just really wonderful. Um. I love to read this quote. I read it like every eight podcast listeners, and it's what Stuart is. It's a minister's service will not be perceived as authentic unless it comes from a heart wounded by the suffering about which he speaks. The great illusion of leadership is to think others can be led out of a desert by someone who's never been there. But Stuart has this great courage and great 
ability to be authentic and honest and vulnerable about his own journey here. And then he becomes the wounded healer. And what is one of the greatest things we can be, listeners, is the wounded healer for other people. And I think of the different Facebook groups you've shared that with, that World Unified is a huge group. Mm -hmm. And the courage to share that there and all the people. I think for every comment you got, you probably got 20 or 30 or 100 that were significantly moved by what you shared. And so culturally, we kind of want to present ourselves as these perfect Latter-day Saints. You know, I sort of put to the front of my face how I project myself and how I want to be perceived with this perfect testimony and this perfect life and this perfect checklist of doing all the right things in the right order with no mistake. And maybe there's a few of you out there that can do that. But the reality of our lives is it doesn't match sort of culturally what we're expected to be. And then that can create a lot of shame and self-loathing. That can lead to a whole set of new challenges um, just because you don't feel you measure up. You're not worthy of God's love and you don't fit in. Your testimony's not where other people are. And you live this kind of authentic life that then you can turn to things to just sort of numb the pain of that, that road. And that can lead... So allowing people to be their real, you actually use that word, I was not my real self. And I think Heavenly Father wants us to be our real self. And I think this is one of your finest moments. Um, just the courage to talk about church discipline and the courage to put that out there for everybody. And it, to me, it's a great insight into your core character and your understanding of the atonement and this big heart of your steward that wants to help other people. You've done that in Nebraska, and you continue to do that. But I also think you really understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, because this process with you seems to have grown your heart to love people more and just accept people where they are in their own journey. Um, and that's a, that's a wonderful thing. And you can still, because you're accepting people and love people, I think they naturally turn to you for advice. And I think your ability, because of that, to influence people for good because they're just going to be safer asking you for advice versus somebody that just feels like they can't quite go there because they know they're going to get judged or I told you, sir, what were you thinking? Or, you know, you went to the temple and now look what happened. And you you turned your back on all the people in Nebraska. And I don't want to create new <laughs> thoughts in your brain to re-put you in a bad spot. You've probably done that to yourself. But I think... These can be your finest moments when you open up to a priestly leader. And I I think as priestly leaders, this is the most important work we can do is when someone has the courage to open up and they have to leave the bishop's office feeling better about themselves. That I always prayed and I didn't always do this. I'm sure people could write in and say, hey, he's not practicing what he preached. <laughs> but I always felt that everybody needs to leave the bishop's office better. And I and generally, I'd always felt my love and respect for someone, a man or woman that come in and opened up to me just increased. Um, my love for them increased and my respect for them increased. And I think that's how our heavenly parents feel. Any more thoughts come into your mind? I'd love to ask you a question, too, is talk to men and women that are in a space where they go, I never thought I'd get here. Um, this is... I am living my worst nightmare. I've, I've taught all the people the gospel. I'm back from my mission. Now I'm a place that I was that I've never been before, and, and I don't think I can come back. Um, and so I'm just going to kind of live this life. I, I have a testimony of the church, but I just can't live it. So I just need to live this other life because I can never go back. So you can answer that question now or <laughs> some thoughts and then that question. Yeah, I may have you remind me about that. That's okay. Um, you know, I, I I think especially um, kind of touching back with the the church discipline, I think those need to be celebrated more. Um, anytime somebody is is getting a chance to turn their life around, it needs to be celebrated. People need to know that that's that's something that's looked up to. I mean, deciding that you're not in a place that you want to be. Um, and deciding that you want to get to a better place, that why would that ever need to be looked up uh, down upon? Um, I know, I know, seeing people that <laughs> that was one of the biggest things for me was seeing people that I knew 
weren't necessarily living the gospel, um, I guess, according to the standards and the the kind of the commandments. Um, to see them at church always made me so happy, knowing that people, although they struggle with certain things, were still there every single week, making an effort to become better. Um, I, I going through the the disciplinary council was was so tough, but it opened my eyes to to other people that are going through it and being able to see, hey, this person's they're trying. I mean, they're they're willing to risk everything to know God, to be able to come back to where they need and want to be. Because, um, I mean, essentially that's what you're giving up in, in cases of excommunication. I mean, you're literally removing yourself from the, the church and and kind of taking a step back, making corrective actions, and and hopefully coming back to to the gospel and, and to, to the church. I mean, there's so many blessings that come along with it. Um, and that's... It, that was my biggest thing is wanting people to feel comfortable in repenting. Um, I mean, people have their own path and it's important that they figure that out between them and God. I think one of the, the biggest turning points for me um, and kind of what kept me going through it, even when I got discouraged was being able to realize that I, <laughs> again, I don't want it to sound bad, but I don't care what other people thought. I don't care. I, you have your your priesthood leaders, and they are there to guide you and direct you, and they're kind of the judge in Israel for you. But um, as far as their opinion of you, I, I was never worried about that because I'm not doing it for them. I'm doing it for for me, and I'm doing it for God. And I want to get back to a place where I feel like I'm closer to Him. Um, and so I'm going to go through this process. If people want to say they're disappointed in me, I, I really don't care. I, I'm going to get to a spot where I feel comfortable again um, and, and feel like I'm in the right place doing what I need to be doing. Um, and it's it's harder to, I mean, obviously it's harder to like put that into action. I mean, words are a lot easier to say than actions. And so being able to to get to a point where you feel like that is is going to be the biggest thing. Um, you can't you can't do repentance for anybody else. You can't do it for your family. You can't do it for your friends. You can't do it for your church leaders to get their approval. You got to do it for yourself, and that's how it's going to be that lasting change. I think that was probably the biggest difference between when I would repent before the mission, and even partly before uh, after the mission, like. Um, I was doing it for the appearance of others or to get something, to be able to go on a mission. I repented. I did this so I could have that. Like, it just, it was never so that I could feel closer to God. It was never so I could be the person that I know he wants me to be. Um, And so getting to that point really changed my life. That's cool. That's really cool. Talk about people that just feel they've gone too far. Yeah. And they just don't sure they can handle the process. Honestly, and and I it's an individual basis, honestly. I I I know for me, um coming home and realizing that I had become a lot of what I did not like on the mission. I remember seeing members that, like, as a missionary, I'd see members not doing their home teaching. I'd be like, you guys are so lazy. You have 30 days to do it. Just go do it. Like, it's going to take an hour. And I come home, and I forget to read my scriptures half the morning. So, like, it's just, like, it's so easy um, to kind of beat up on yourself. Um, And I think we need to kind of reevaluate the standards that we set on ourselves. Kind of like you were mentioning on the plane ride home, you you had all those goals. Um, I think setting more realistic goals, like coming home, yeah, you're not going to be 100% reading your scriptures, or you may not be 100% home teaching. Or, um, I mean, there's just there's so many different pressures that we put on ourselves that don't need to be there. Um, I think the biggest thing, for people who feel like they've gone too far is 
you're never too far from God's love. You were never too far to be able to come back. He will always be there with his hands reaching out towards you. He will always be there to pick you up. It's important that you you kind of ignore the outside pressures of, of the influence of other people, whether it's your family, friends, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whoever it is. You kind of have to put that to the side and realize, is this something that you actually want? If so, God will be there to take care of it. He'll He'll guide you and he'll be there alongside you. It's going to be tough, um, but you can do it. I love that. And you've heard me listeners talk a little bit about the prodigal son and we're all the prodigal son, but I if you need to have hope, I think that story exists for all of us to have hope. And the prodigal had this moment where he said, he came unto himself. And to me, those are God-given moments where we just have clarity on where we are and where we want to go. And there's no shame in that. Um, There's just hope. And then the prodigal makes his way home. And I think he played that conversation over and over and over what he was going to say to his dad. That's really the conversation we're having with our bishop or with our, with our Heavenly Father as we come back. But I think the Savior sets up that parable in kind of a worst-case scenario to help us understand how our Heavenly Father feels and the Savior feels when we return. And it's during daylight, and the Father's out in the field. And I think the Savior set that up intentionally. And he kind of, I just imagine gazing over the horizon and seeing his son. And, and he runs, he leaves the boundary of the field, and he runs and embraces his son and there's some wording in there in Luke that I think the son is stunned the way the father is treating him. Um, and he says, Father, I've sinned against thee in heaven. Why are you treating me this way? And the father doesn't make him grovel. He doesn't give him the cold shoulder, all the things that I would naturally do with my own son if he did that. And then he answers the question that when we've been on the faraway land, do we come back as a son or do we come back as a servant? Do we come back as a second-class Mormon? Do we come back different because we've been away. And he answers that question for all of us when he puts a robe on his shoulders and a ring on his finger. And we come back as sons and daughters when we come back. And that's the beauty of the atonement. And the other thing, we don't add to the burden of the Savior when we come back. He's already paid the price. I think sometimes culture has created a feeling that even coming back adds to the burden of the Savior. And we don't want to, but he's already paid the price. He rejoices when we come back. Um, he he's already given us this incredible gift. He's just waiting for us to take advantage of it. And so it's his greatest joy when we come back and take advantage of this gift. And and even if we, sometimes we get up back on ourselves because we make the same mistakes over and over again. But I look at it as you're not back to square one. You're just one day further along the process to finally being where you need to, need to be. Um, Satan wants you to take, keep, think you're back at square one and all the good work you've done is for naught and you're never going to break this cycle. But I look at it as a, sta- a spiral staircase going up that you're actually making progress and you're learning about yourself and, and the repentance process in some cases kind of long. And it's three steps forward and two steps back. And, and the only other thing I'll say on this is just what my institute teacher taught me, and I've shared this before, is, is pink Mormon thinking, now I'd call it pink Latter-day Saint thinking, is sometimes we think, well, there's a scripture in Isaiah that says, when our sins are scarlet, they'd be as white as snow. And that means we're completely clean. But some people think, well, I've sinned so much that I I can, I will only get myself to a light shade of pink, and I will be forever different as a Latter-day Saint. And they have pink Mormon thinking. They think, well, I'll never be able to teach my kids the law of chastity because I broke it, or I'll never be able to be a young men's leader because I messed up with this, or my future spouse will never want me because I messed up in this area or that area. And listeners, they get pretty tenderhearted because I think Satan doesn't necessarily win when we sin. I think he has real victories if he could deconnect us from the atonement of Jesus Christ and put um, shame in our life about our future that is not what our heavenly parents want us to feel about. And I think that's why I love Stuart talking about shame. So I think those scriptures, some of the most meaningful to me to understand how our Savior feels when we come back and how our heavenly parents feel. 
Now, I want to ask you, you've written this and you're an unmarried man. Um, I don't know if you've got a girlfriend right now, but she's going to read this someday. Um, why would you let her, you know, she obviously is going to know this part about you. And I think you've probably thought through that. Um, so just because some people would say, I would, and this is kind of you talking to people that have messed up and saying, well, now I would never tell my future spouse about that. Or if she knew this about me, you know, just, but I think it's your greatest moment um, or one of your greatest moments. And I think it makes you a better companion. And if you were my own future son-in-law reading this would actually increase my respect for you because you have ability to understand the atonement of Jesus Christ and teach that to your own kids. So that's how I feel about it, but I don't know. <laughs> I want to not put words in your mouth, but you've got all these people that may judge you for this or may not feel like, you know, you're hit the standard of this perfect checklist. Yeah. Yeah. No, that, that's something I wanted to talk about. I feel like, uh, again, going back to kind of the the stigma of, of what people expect and, and kind of church culture uh, for the longest time I was so worried when I first like kind of started thinking about going through the repentance process and then uh, when I initially got this fellowship I thought who's gonna who's gonna be okay with that because for so long it was oh I'd never marry a guy that was like this or I'd, I wouldn't want somebody that's done that that's gone through that process or has been disfellowship kind of just like the cultural things of the church um, and again, to kind of, it's take a lot of realization, but to kind of get to that point of, I don't care what other people think. And then to kind of go back to, you know what, this is something that has made me a way better person. So anybody would be <laughs> lucky to have somebody that's kind of gone through that. Um, not saying that you have to go through, through something like this in order to have an understanding um, but I feel as though my, my testimony has grown so much and I know, and I, and again, I've been able to sit down and talk with people and be able to understand. I think for me personally, being able to relate with, uh, I mean, the future spouse, like be able to kind of just sit down and be like, you know what? I don't really care what, what issues you've had in the past. They make you who you are and you're a better person because of it. And then being able to kind of just move and grow from that. Um, that's a pretty cool statement. I don't really care about what issues you've had in the past and make you a better person. What a great thing to be able to give somebody and look at your future palaces past and the good parts and the tough parts and say so this made you a better person. Yeah, I think I think everybody everybody's going to have some sort of baggage with them. Um and I think just the most important thing is to be able to find someone that is understanding enough to accept you for who you are um, and then be willing to grow together. You're very self-confident in who you are. You probably don't like to hear that from me because no one likes to hear that. But I love you are just saying, this is who I am. And I this is and my self-worth is tied in my relationship with my heavenly parents and my own path forward and not tied into what everybody else thinks about me. It's a really good place to be at your age. Um, culturally, it's hard to do that sometimes, but it's a credit to you and just your spiritual maturity. And I think it's much more sustainable just you going forward that you can kind of put the noise out of the culture and be your own guy. You can't see Stuart in the podcast, but he's got a big beard on. And, he, and I think it's awesome. So culturally, sometimes... People look at people with beards and think, where does this guy stand with the church? And it's just who you are, Stuart. And I think you're very comfortable with who you are. And and I think that's a great place to be. I don't know if you want to talk about the beard at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm gonna be honest. I feel like there is there's gotta be something with Utah dating and a beard, because it is that's not the thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, I've had a lot of people that are pretty shocked to find out that I'm active LDS and it's uh it's always just makes me laugh because we've got this stereotype of what a an active LDS person should look like and I I hope we can uh, change a lot of the culture. Yeah, I I really agree. Talk about um what has made you stay in the church. 
Um, that's tough. Um, I think it stems a lot from my mission. Um, being able to have those experiences with other people, being able to see people change and accept the gospel, go from just a completely lost and, and, and sad person um, to someone who, who finds hope and is able to find ways to deal with today's challenges. Um, that's, I, I think everybody has their own path and it's important that they figure it out for themselves. Um, my path is not going to be what anybody else does. Each of us is going to have our own special customized path that we plan out and work with God. Um, and for so many people that that's leaving the church and, and kind of hopefully figuring it out that there is a place for them uh, later on. Um, I think that's, that's something that I've, I've felt very strongly is there's so many people that I care about and love uh, that have left the church and, and I've found peace and comfort in it. And I, I hope that they can find that eventually. Uh, but for me, it's to respect what they, they believe now. Um, as far as what made me stay, I feel like just too many experiences that I've had. Um, and then being able to, the church has given me so many tools to be able to overcome the challenges of life. The gospel has given me um, just, just a, a confidence that things are going to be okay. A lot of people will say that's just like a false hope, but I've, I've seen it. Like I've gone through some dark times uh, especially with, with, meth, with mental health. I've dealt with a lot of things, um, depression especially, just very, very dark times, and the gospel gives me a way to overcome it. Um, I think that was one of the, the biggest things is, um, I mean, probably partway through the disfellowshipment, um, I just, I was having a horrible time with mental health, just suicidal thoughts. I mean, I was going through it all. Um, and when I finally realized that this was something that I wanted and that was going to help me, I've, I felt, I felt a light guide me. There was, there was something more to it. I was going to be able to overcome this. Um, I mean, I still struggle every single day with mental health, but when I finally accepted that that God could help me and accepted that gift that you you mentioned, um, I really felt a huge change in my life as far as mental health goes. Being able to know and feel like you're in a place that you know you should be, um, I, I think that's why a lot of people have issues with the church is it kind of gives you this ideal or this this mindset that you need to be a certain way um, in order to be happy. Um, I, I feel like I've kind of come to realize what it is that I want for myself in order to be happy. And, and as I've kind of gotten closer to that, my mental health has improved as well. That's great. Talk about those that are suicidal right now. You've had a cousin. I love your tributes to him occasionally on Facebook that you've Appreciate lost that. a suicide. I've had the chance to meet his mom. I remember um, a visit with your mom and his mom in the temple just crossing paths and felt a wonderful mother who's lost a son and your good mother. So your family, like many families, knows this space, and you felt probably some of those things you just said that. Talk to those that are suicidal. What would you say to them right now that are wondering if that's their future and if they should Die by suicide. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> hold on. That's uh, it's. There's, man. It, it's tough because you don't ever want to admit it. Um. You don't want to admit that that you're thinking of that, that you're to that spot where you feel like that's an option. Um, I can just go based off my experiences. I just, there's been so many times, even recently that it's, 
I, I have those those thoughts and those ideas come come across my head. Is it worth continuing on? Is it is it worth going through all of this? Um, and then you get to the next day, and it's <laughs> you've made it. You've made it one more day. Um, for me, it's it's. I, I think back to like a year ago when I was especially suicidal. I uh, thinking at least the the ideas were there. Um, thinking of all the things that I I would have missed out, thinking about the loved ones that I would have left behind. Um, for me, it's those are the things that have kept me here. Is realizing that you know it is tough right now. It's going to be tough for probably a long time, but it's important to just take it one day at a time to find things that you love to do, and and realize that there is hope and there's help. It's good. I love that. It's very practical. You're very good at sort of not sugarcoating this and just being very practical. I think that relates. It's part of your style, Stuart. You're very real. You're very approachable. And these aren't complicated answers you're giving. Um, hold on. Um, just take it another day. I'd love we tell us your cousin's name who did die. I just feel like it would be wonderful to hear his name. Hunter. Hunter Dahl. Hunter Dahl, tell yeah. us, Hunter's gone. Tell us what you love about Hunter, what you miss about Hunter. Are you okay? Yeah. Just talking yeah. about Hunter for yeah, a second. Absolutely. I feel, yeah, that he, brings, uh, I feel that brings honor to Hunter. Absolutely. And he he deserves to be honored. He, man, he was he was the best. He was a few years younger, and we kind of had a group of, of four cousins. So it was me, my brother, and then two of our other cousins that are around the same age. And we were kind of always just doing things together. It was always it was always just a, a, we were just kind of the crew. We always hung out together. It was most Sundays we were together. We hung out. We were best friends growing up. And I just, his laugh was the best. I, it's, it's been a while. Um, and it's sad to think, but some of the memories are starting to fade. And it, it does help to kind of write things down and say them out loud because then it helps you to remember it. Um, but yeah, he was he was a friend to everyone. Everyone loved him. He was just so fun to be around. Always had a joke. Was always smiling, giggling, laughing, and you know, that's that's the tough thing is is realizing that that's not always what it seems to be. Good job and a very spontaneous question. I I think you know parents that have lost somebody to suicide or friends. I think it's okay for us to ask them to keep talking about them. I think most people that have lost someone, we sometimes don't know what to say. And, but I think as we continue to talk to loved ones about loved ones they've lost, it keeps their memories alive. And in an appropriate situation, I think it's a wonderful thing to do. These are wonderful people that we've lost, um, however they've left us. And we just continue to love them and honor their, their goodness. So I love your tribute to Hunter. Appreciate it. Thank you. And I love where you've talked about him on Facebook. Yeah. And I think somehow I think he's aware of that. And it helps him. I think people, listeners on the other side of the veil are still human. They have human emotions. And I think somehow they're aware when we recognize and remember them. And it helps them to know they haven't been forgotten. I don't that's not doctrine. That's just some of my feelings. Yeah, I, I believe that. <laughs> Any other thoughts you'd like to share? You've done such a good job. Any other thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Man, I don't know. I uh, I'm always happy to talk one on one if anybody wants to chat. But I I I just I hope that everybody will take the chance to kind of figure out their own path. I think we don't have to go the traditional what everybody expects us to do, what everybody wants us to do. I think it's important that we just be 100% ourselves, um, figuring out with God what it is and how we can reach our full potential. Um, I know for me and for a lot of my life, I've lived below what my potential can be. And I still do it to this day, but luckily we have the atonement that allows us to, to kind of overcome that. Um, that's one thing I will say is, is figure out how the atonement works for you. Figure out how the gospel works for you. I, I personally believe that there is a place for every single person in this church and in this gospel. 
And it's important that they figure out how it is, how it'll help them, how it'll benefit their lives, how they'll be able to overcome challenges that they're having. Um, figure that out for yourself. Don't let other people tell you how it's supposed to be. Don't let people pressure you into living it a certain way. I mean, we're given guidance, we're given commandments, but it's important that you work that out with God and figure out how this is going to work for your life because I know it will. It's great. Um, listeners, we'll link to Stuart Barrett's um, Facebook post in the podcast description so um, you can DM him if you want to find Stuart and directly interact with him. Um, but you're a wounded healer. Um, you're in a really good spot at a really good age and you've got a great life ahead of you and you have my respect. It's the best word I can give you. I appreciate you're authentic, it. you're honest, you're genuine, you're vulnerable. You're you. You're the real you. You have understood who you are and you love you. And you is different <laughs> than other yous. We're all different. But culturally, sometimes it's hard for us to own our uniqueness. And you have done that. And I think it sustains you in a really healthy way because your self-worth is tight. I've always felt that I want to have my self-worth listeners tied into things I can control. And there's a lot of things I can't control. Um what society says my self-worth should be tied in, which can be a lot of different things for a lot of different people, but you're helping us understand that our self-worth should be tied into our relationship with our Heavenly Father and just finding our own way and owning that. Um, so, Stuart Barrett, thank you for being on a podcast and your courage to share your story. It brings hope to so many others, and you have a great life ahead of you. So this is Stuart Barrett and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. 